Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. Glad to be here. Welcome back from your three-week vacation what what were you doing (laughs) well it was really there were some vacation elements but uh, i really consider it a work trip i was with tom and flabby and we kind of went north and south well actually we just went south and then back up north um and yeah we traveled from chicago to memphis tennessee to three places in mississippi to new orleans louisiana to gulf shores alabama and then we were in uh, Nashville, and then we were in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and then back to Chicago. So uh, there was some the work elements. We were at the World War II Museum. We were um, we had good meetings there. We were um, meeting Reese Lau's relatives, uh, John Lau's relatives from the Brave Dutch, our main character from the Brave Dutch. So all of their relatives, and then. Um, we also went to the show of shows, which is a big military show uh, in Louisville. And we were there with our partners, uh, Footsteps researchers, Myra Miller, Joey Van Mason, um, Flo Plana. And, you know, I was sort of scouting it out to find out if this was a place we should be at every year to, um, you know, show our film or to sell our DVDs or stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of work mixed in. Um, I think I would say the Gulf Shores, Alabama, the three days there at the beach, definitely vacation. <laughs> although, although we were working, so we we um, planned out our um, sizzle reel reenactments one whole day while we were there. So yeah, okay. anyway, that's what we were doing. Also with us is our, and I'll I'll say it, trusty dusty research extraordinaire, button pushing guy, couldn't do without him, the awesome Jason Rugg. <laughs> hey there. I love it when you do his whole title. <laughs> I got to put that on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Just do, do, make your Twitter handle, you know, that for a day or something. You know, like, I don't think it could be that long. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Not enough characters in the tweet for that one. <laughs> so I, I actually, I have relatives on the Gulf Shores and that was the first time I experienced M- Mardi Gras and oh. uh, crawfish. We break yeah, off the crayfish. tails and crawfish. crawfish. Yeah. Um, and we took my children there not too long ago and they experienced the same thing. And so, and when we were there last time, this was pre COVID. So three years ago, I guess they were filming a movie with Dakota Johnson and a guy from how I met your mother, the tall actor, I forget his name. Um, I saw him. Yeah. Jason Siegel. We saw him on the streets and then my cousin is a caterer. He was Dakota Johnson's personal caterer wow. while she was filming there. Um, he's like top-notch caterer. He gets hired by the rich and famous on a regular basis. Um, but That's cool. Anyhow. Um, well, I will tell you, um, it was the Mardi Gras season while we were down there. And one of the funniest things was every time we went somewhere, everybody wanted to tell our new French friends about Mardi Gras and Mm. about Fat Tuesday and about king cakes, not realizing that all of that started in France. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, 
you know, it was an interesting conversation to hear Americans tell them about Mardi Gras and to hear the, my French friends say, well, you know, here's what it really starts. And they would explain to you how it begins at Epiphany and how it ends on Fat Tuesday and how Ash Wednesday starts after that, which most Americans don't know. And their king cake is just like a, I don't know, it's almost like a pie and there is a fev inside, not a baby and they're cute collectible little things. Um, but it wasn't a game in France. Um, and typically uh, the king wasn't served the cake um, or you know, it wasn't him who was looking for the baby. Basically uh, they would put a black piece and a white piece inside this cake and whoever got the white piece was promoted and whoever got the black piece was decapitated. <laughs> so, so you really didn't want to have that black piece for sure. So anyway, uh, yeah, we had a lot of king cake on our travels for sure down throughout the South. All right. All right. Although that definitely makes it, you know, when you get the good piece, that makes it feel a lot better, right? It's like, for yeah, sure. you know, the, the stakes are higher. This is a fun game. I like this. Yeah, it's a little gambly. <laughs> yeah. Very true. So Christian, it has been a while. Uh, Jason, I, I, I don't think Jason's been recording with you. Have you been yeah. recording? No, I actually did the last two. Uh, last one was by myself. The weeks before that, that was with Tom and Flavi. And so you guys have been away. And so it's nice to see you. I'm glad you're back. No, no, no. We've been right here. You have been <laughs> away. Okay. Point taken. So, all right. Well, we need an update. So shall we start with the girl who wore freedom? Sure. Let's start with that. Um, so the... There's mostly good news on the girl who wore freedom part and some very sad news. Um, we'll start with the, let's start with the sad news. And I always like to start with the sad news because then I know I can be happy afterwards. The sad news is we did get an answer back um, from Netflix. Uh, and they, they basically said, the one guy said, yeah, it's just not our thing or something like that. Or it's just not you know, big enough or whatever. And I asked Joe, I said, that seems so strange. I've never gotten a response like that. Did he really watch our movie? And he's like, well, he says he did. I'm like, you know, there's just no way when people watch the movie, there is some sort of reaction, you know, yeah. and typically if it doesn't get into a film festival or something like that, there is always a note, which is, oh, this is a powerful film. It really needs to be seen, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're sorry, we can't have it here, but you, you know, we know it'll find its home. It's a good film. So um, that was very discouraging. And he said that he was gonna go back to them. I think he has a meeting in April. And my guess is he'll try to, to talk to them one more time about it. Um, but like I've said in the past, once uh, I think a streaming service passes or a cable channel passes, you don't really have a second shot. Um, so that was, that was super sad for me. Yeah, that's a bummer. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, but this is the time where my faith really holds my feet to the ground because I feel like I have prayed about this project from the very beginning, what's to happen with it, where it's supposed to be. And if a door is closed, then I feel like that's my answer. I'm not going to mourn that. I'm going to figure out, okay, well, where is the next place? Um, and truthfully, I think uh, Joe said the reason he was going to go back and try Netflix again is to try to work out just any deal. 
you know, any deal, not a big deal, but just any deal. Hey, will you take this for a year for, you know, a lower price? Just because we do need to be able to say um, in events and things coming up that you can watch it on Netflix, which is the big problem that we're really having is that whenever I go speak anywhere and everybody asks me, where can I see this? And my only option to give them is iTunes or Apple TV. Now I can give them um, Hoopla, which is people's library where they can watch it for free, but then nobody knows what Hoopla is or how to access it. You know, most people don't even have a library card anymore. And for those of you who don't know Hoopla, it is the library systems video lending um, platform. And it is just like Netflix. And if you do have a library card in your town and they have a relationship with Hoopla, you can go online just like you can with Netflix, put in your library card and you can rent any movie for free, borrow any movie for free. So, um, but you know, that doesn't really help people either when I tell them we're on Hoopla. So, um, one of the things that he told me to do is that, um, you know, originally we were told by FFS that Amazon passed and that Amazon was not willing to even let uh, FFS host it. You know, typically before documentary filmmakers could upload their own content um, and it could be, uh, um, you know, a, a transactional thing where we upload it and you pay $4.99 or whatever to watch it. Uh, but now they're kind of shutting down that avenue. Well, um, Virgil Films does still have the ability to upload things to Amazon digital where people can just at least rent it. So we at least need to be there. And apparently now Tubi and Pluto are picking up steam. And um, really, he was saying that we need to be on those platforms um, because they are looking for new content. It is a transactional platform uh, in a sense. Um, those platforms um, you know, the, the movies are there. I think as I understand it correctly, I need to do some more research, but they're free platforms where ads are run, but the younger generations are the ones that are using Tubi and Pluto. Um, and they're doing that because they're free. And as we talked through this phenomenon, basically the younger generations have been brought up on YouTube. And they're used to just being able to watch videos for free. And they will sit through advertisements for three seconds before they skip the ad, um, you know, in order to get that free content. So I think the issue would be if we went on Tubi and Pluto, that would be the same case for us. We would, um, you know, get revenue from whatever the ads are watched or whatever. So, so that's uh, one thing I'm going to be looking into this week. Um, and do you, then do you, need do you need approval to be on Tubi and Pluto or do you just upload it kind of? I, I really truthfully need to look into it more. I don't know the answer to that. So, so I've actually been looking into this recently. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Tubi is kind of a hybrid. Um, they have guidelines just up for like, hey, if you want to submit something, um, here's all the technical things you need to do. There's documents you can download. Um, but I cannot find just like a submit button. So I don't know if you just have to like email them and start a conversation or something. Um, Pluto is a little bit more of a formal, like through an aggregator, that sort of thing. Um, but Tubi is kind of, I think they used to be, you could just submit stuff, but now they're starting to step into that, go through an aggregator, go through um, an agent or something to get it to them. Um, they're in that process. Yeah, that's actually what Joe told me. Now you're ringing a bell because, 
he said um, he's in the queue basically to talk to these people because now that they've gotten to that point, um, everybody's rushing to them to pitch their content to them. So yeah, that's where we are with that. So, so anyway, um, I think there are still people, there's probably about eight cable channels and streaming services that we have not heard back from. So there's a tiny little window of hope there. Um, not holding my breath about that. I do think that, um, there are going to be other ways we can get our film out there. Um, that's part of the good news of this week. Um, and it's that, you know, our sort of D-Day season is coming into focus. And so what is happening now is that, um, I've, an event has now been planned with Airbus um, a huge airline company that makes, and, you know, these big, you know, three Airbus 360s that are flying internationally and they're out of the Washington DC area, they're partner with Delta. And so they want to do a screening of the film in DC around May 11th or 12th. So that's exciting. Um, and then on May 16th, it has been confirmed Flo and Danny are going to be flying in, I think on the 14th or 15th, we're going to be meeting in New York. And then um, the Alliance Francaise is going to have a big event screening the film that is open for ticket purchases. And Delta is going to be hosting a reception after that. So that's super exciting. And then I'm hoping to put together from there a screening at Fort Bragg, North Carolina through the Fort Bragg Museum Enterprise Campus. And then we'll have another screening for Delta employees um, in Atlanta. We'll have, I don't know, a few days off and then we come back to Atlanta and we will have a, a World War II veteran dinner. So we have partnered with Delta, Michelin and Best Defense Foundation to give the opportunity for I think about 30 or 40 veterans to go back to Normandy. So there's a big dinner sponsored by Michelin um, on May 31st. Then Delta flies us all from Atlanta to Normandy. Uh, and then our film, The Girl Who Wore Freedom, is going to screen on the 2nd, on the 5th, on the 6th, and on the 12th. And then I do think there's one or two other dates that are still people are still working on for us to screen. So that's a lot of amazing opportunities that we have coming up. And, you know, which is why it would be so great if we could say you can watch the film here, here, and here. Um, the other thing that we've been working on is uh, we have identified an official DVD manufacturer. And so we are going to start producing DVDs with, you know, a, a case and, um, you know, a real menu at the beginning and all of that stuff. Um, and we'll be able to sell those on our website. And we'll be able to sell those when we go to these different events, because uh, some of our audience does still um you know, watch DVDs. So I do think that, you know, my future with this film might just be, you know, these events that we do. Um, and, you know, hopefully people, some people being able to watch them on transactional platforms that we get on. Two other exciting things happened this week. I, Donnie Edwards, who is an ex-NFL player with the Kansas City Chiefs and with the San Diego Chargers, 
Um, he is the one that started the Best Defense Foundation. He did make an Instagram post about our film, put the link to our trailer, uh, and lots of people have been responding to that. So that's been a great development. Uh, and then I had a pilot from Delta reach out to me. Uh, apparently he is super passionate for the film. He's a former Marine. His name is Chuck Link. Uh, I'm so incredibly blessed by him. He has been announcing it on his flights to watch the film people have. Uh, he's, he sent me a text of notes that he'd been taking because he wanted to learn people and the events and photos that he'd been taken so he could remember their names. And um, we just had a great conversation because he really wants to help and support. And after that, he joined on Patreon to support us at $50 a month. So Chuck, we are so blessed to have you on our team. And that gave me a big jolt of encouragement. Um, so there are still little things like that that happen that I'm so super thankful for. So that's, you know, what this makes me think of, I know like not getting Netflix is a bummer. Um, uh, but it doesn't sound like the door is entirely closed and there's other streaming platforms, but what's happening reminds me more of a, you know, a Broadway show or stage production production going on the road. So, you know, huge audiences aren't seeing it like they would in theaters or streaming, but audiences are seeing it uh, literally around the world. So that's a big deal. I mean, that's really cool that so many people are excited about it, watching it in the skies, in France, you know, festivals in the United States. So, um, and you get to go along with it. So you're, you know, the production manager now and making sure the crew yeah. is there and everyone's got their costumes and they're ready to go. So yeah. um, I think it's just a, right now anyway, for the time being, it's just a different uh, source of distribution, I guess. Yeah. And truthfully, I enjoy this. Um, I, it's sort of in my wheelhouse. I love talking to people. I love sharing the film. I love meeting people and I love creating community around, you know, stuff like this. So this really is up my alley and it feeds my soul. And I do think that it blesses people when they can watch a film like this in community. Um, so I'm certainly not complaining. I think the hard part for me kind of leads into the next part of the conversation, which is about the brave Dutch. Um, it's really difficult as a filmmaker, if you don't have some sort of demonstration from your peers that you are a certain type of filmmaker. So that's why Joe was like, we just need to get you on Netflix, no matter what they'll pay, because once you can say you've had a film on Netflix and you've got in the, your audience can watch it easily. Um, it does put you in a different category as a filmmaker and gives you a little bit more street cred. Um, and so without that right now, um, even though I've completed this film and it's clearly been successful, there's just a glass ceiling, which I haven't been able to break. And a lot of that is due to our changing industry, quite frankly. Well, yes, things to keep in mind, uh, changing industry, you know, traditional filmmaking to streaming, COVID, this is your first film ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so there are just, just some things that, you know, kind of, you know, make it different, right? You know, you're, you're navigating totally new waters. Like you can't even really, you just pick up, bits and pieces of advice from people who are a little further ahead of you, you know, and, but even they can't tell you exactly what to do and you're figuring it out as you go along. So I think it's all understandable. True. So true. So speaking of the brave Dutch, where, where are you at with that? 
Yeah, so more disappointing news about the Brave Dutch. Um, uh, in fact, it's almost wholly disappointing. And really, it's broader than the Brave Dutch. It's kind of just uh, overshadows all of my decisions going forward. Now, I say this with a grain of salt because anything can change. Um, and they, you know, and I'm well aware of that. So I'm not going to get too down in the dumps about this. Um, but again, in my meeting with Joe, our meeting started with him sending an email that basically said he wished he had better news. Um, but the brave Dutch pitch did not resonate with many accounts. The responses were one, you know, across the board. Um, they were kind of all over the board of different reasons, not our demographic, you know, or, um, you know, whatever. But one common thread was that it was not our demographic and not what they're looking for these days. And so he pitched it to, these are the people he pitched it to and they passed. So HBO, HBO Max, Showtime, Netflix, PBS. Um, let me see. No, PBS is still looking, sorry. Um, Hulu passed, Amazon Prime passed, History Channel passed, CNN, CNN Plus, CNN, CBS Interactive, MSNBC, CNBC, Paramount Plus, um, BBC America, Disney Plus. So all of those are the ones that are that passed. Now we still have Stars looking, PBS looking, uh, Discovery Plus looking. Uh, Peacock is still looking, um, and Roku is still looking. Now, Roku, Roku is also, I'm told, in sort of the 2B and Pluto categories where they're starting a new thing there and looking for new content. So um, that's what that's all about. But, you know, as we kind of broke down, and, and this was what was really hard for me to swallow because here we had spent, we have a great story. We have so many stories to tell. It's super powerful. Clearly there is a market out there for it because we had the forgotten battle, which just recently came out on Netflix, which covers the Netherlands and it covers um, the, almost the exact scenario, you know, in that you're, you're watching a, um, you know, a British soldier, you're watching a, a Dutch um, resistance worker and you're watching a German soldier and you're seeing this battle right around, you know, Amsterdam through the eyes of these three different people. And it touches on some of the themes in our documentary series. Uh, so there's that. And then Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks are coming out with this new documentary series on flyers, which is the mighty eighth air force, which is, you know, what our story covers as well. So there's clearly some market out there, but of course I am not Steven Spielberg or Tom Hanks. And there is another difference. There's a huge market for, for narrative series. He says right now, there's not a huge market for documentary series. Now there are some like, you know, Five Came Back is a documentary series that jumps to mind. There are some. There's, you know, I've watched serial killer ones and I've watched, you know, there are documentary series out there. They're not unheard of, but right now they're not in demand. And so he said, you know, that's one part of this problem. If I was to turn this into a narrative series, that would be a different story. And we would take that back to the narrative departments of all of these places. 
Um, but in order for that to really be successful, you need to have named actors already signed on most likely. Um, it can't just be, you know, here's our idea, here's our concept, you know, it would need to be that it would need to be a, a legit sizzle reel, and it would need to be have named actors that are signed on. So, um, he did say if, um, you know, it, it would also work if I did it as a documentary and not a documentary series, I would have a better chance doing that. He thinks after all of the pitching that he's done. Um, and he did say, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He has in-person meetings in April and May, you know, he could very well bring it up again, but it's not like something you can go into a meeting two times, three times and say, let me tell you about this project again. We really think you ought to do it. So, um, I do think he did say part of it is not being able to pitch in person. You know, it's just a different animal if they're sending pitches an email than when they're pitching in person. So that's part of it. The other part of it is there's an ever-changing landscape, as we know, in, in this, you know, field right now. And streaming services and cable channels, they want to create, it's more lucrative for them to create their own content than license someone else's. Um, and... You know, even if they were to give me money for something like this, I do think that, um, you know, he just thinks right now the money is going into narrative stuff or to documentaries, but not documentary series. Um, but Roku, Tubi, and Pluto are looking for originals. So maybe there's a window open there for us. Um, so... You know, I mean, when when we had this conversation, I kept saying, well, you know, I mean, it's really kind of jarring for me in the sense of, okay, well, well, we've tried pitching this really substantial meaty series, The Brave Dutch, to all these different places, and basically they're all saying, no, you're telling me I could raise my own money to do a documentary just like I did with a girl who wore freedom. And okay, let's say I do that. And then we go and pitch it to places. But what's not to say I'm not going to end up in the same situation I am with a girl who wore freedom? And he said, well, you know, quite frankly, you will be. Quite frankly, now people like you are going to transactional. Independent producers are going to transactional because it is too difficult to get onto these streaming platforms and cable channels. He said, as a film... Um, as a film distributor, 80% of their income is transactional or AVOD. That blew me away. And I've heard FFS say that same thing as well. So for independent producers, our scope of what we're able to sell and to do is narrowing into this tiny little, you know, tube because um, of the way the entertainment industry is going at the moment. So, you know, that's why he said really going with a documentary and trying to pitch it to Roku, Tubi, and Pluto, um, you know, is probably my best chance and beginning to think about, um, you know, the way that I would make money back or would be through transactional and not just necessarily selling, um, you know, having them buy or license the material outright. 
Now we have yet to receive any other report or payment from the girl who wore freedom. We're now, um, we're now late getting, uh, Q2 and Q3 of 2021 well past, um, when we were supposed to have gotten them. So I'm having the lawyer have to to draft up a letter about that because that situation is not a good situation and needs to be addressed. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Um, so yeah, it's been a rough couple of days, quite frankly. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That is no fun. Um, at the same time, I don't think your journey is different from much other filmmakers, to be quite honest. Jessica Chastain just won Best Actress for uh, you know, the SAG Awards, and she talked about she's been working on the Tammy Faye movie for over 10 years to try and get that made, you know, and um, it just kind of, and I'm always amazed when I hear that, when you hear, when you see a movie and it's so good, and then you hear the backstory that it took them 10 years, 20 years to make this, you're like, what, who, how is that even, this movie is so good, why did it take so long, you know, but sometimes that's just part of it. Yeah, and quite frankly, I am not discouraged. Um, I, you know, if you're a new filmmaker and you're listening to this, don't be discouraged. This industry is changing quickly. There have always been independent producers. There always will be. We will find some sort of outlet for our material. We will find a way, um, you know, to to make our movies somewhat profitable. I think um, we just have to think out of the box. I think. And we have to figure out what this new landscape looks like for us independent producers. And I've always said that we can sit here and bemoan opportunities and, you know, cry in our spilt milk. But what good does that do? That doesn't do anyone any good at all. Um, and I really prefer to look at this as, you know, a new opportunity. And so I'm going to try to, you know, Ash Wednesday is today. We're starting this Lenten season. Um, and I was really mindful this morning as I was contemplating the, you know, we were made from dust and to dust, we're going to return and our days are numbered and we really need to, tr you know, be wise about how we use them. Um, you know, I really started thinking about trying to keep all of this in perspective and that my father always said to me, everything's bad. You know, something's not always as good as it seems, and it's not always as bad as it seems. Um, and so in this moment, I think it's wise to just say, okay, this is where we are today. This is what the landscape of things looks like today. Um, it doesn't determine what happens going forward. And I think, you know, I think back to what Ken Burns said a long time ago when I first started this is, I mean, it is a roller coaster. You know, and your job as a producer is to solve a million problems and to just keep going and to not quit. And that's going to be my mindset going forward. These are my projects. They're good projects. And I just need to keep plotting forward one step at a time and um, just trust the process. So that's kind of where my head is today. That's good. Been, Go ahead, Jason. Have you been printing out all your rejections and putting them in a binder? Like Ken Burns, <laughs> I need to do that. Yeah, you should. I need, I need to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the next question here is going to be, well, what do I do? What do I do next? And I want to tell you something. I said that to Joe Amade yesterday, and he said, "Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not leaving you." 
And I got so emotional to have a distributor tell you that was so affirming. And it also demonstrates the quality of that distributor. Like this guy really cares about his filmmakers and he cares about the product that they put out. And that is the kind of distributor I think you want to have a relationship with. And so if you're in the middle of looking for distribution, you guys got to get to know your distributor because, um, you are married to them for however long you have that contract and you want to make sure that you have a good relationship with them and that they are good people. Um, so that was, that was another blessing for me yesterday. I just felt like I've got somebody who believes in me and is going to advise me and we'll figure this out. So I do need to figure out, am I going to go out there and try to raise this money for the brave Dutch? Um, or the next one, the Carenton project, um, you know, right now we're planning on doing shooting over in Normandy, um, in June, and I've got to figure out, okay, well, everything that I just heard for the brave Dutch is going to be the same for this Carenton project. And so now I have to go back to these people that I've been pitching this documentary series idea to and be like, mm, there's not a lot of market out there, it seems for a documentary series. So we're going to have to retool and, and look at making these as documentaries. And then the next question is going to be, how are we going to fund that? Am I going to try to raise that money or what are we going to do? So the answer is, I don't know yet, but it's an adventure that we're going on <laughs> together. I was just going to say the adventure continues. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, exciting. Nevertheless, uh, although <laughs> Yes, some bummer news for sure, but yeah, just just part of it, right? You know, makes the story, makes the victories uh, a lot more exciting when they happen. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, um, hey, before we wrap up, I don't know, did anyone come prepared for Deja Vu Docu View? Yeah, I did, and so you have to announce our official, uh, you know, segment so we can play our lovely tune. And I have to tell you, you did miss this. So our um, new name for the series is DocuVu Deja Vu because that is what our stinger says. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's welcome to our new segment, Deja Vu. Nope. No, nope, nope. Welcome <laughs> to our new segment, DocuVu Deja Vu. DocuVu Deja Vu. <laughs> All right, there we go. I got to edit my notes. I still have a hard time. Yeah, I keep wanting to say first-time filmmaker. <laughs> we'll forever want to say that. Um, Trusty, dusty, first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Yeah, if you make me change that, then... Uh, yeah, I won't do trouble. that. All right, so I want to talk to you about uh, this documentary that I absolutely love. Um, it is called My Darling Vivian. Have you guys heard this? Have you heard of nope. My Darling Vivian? No, no. no. So my darling Vivian, um, I first learned about it at the uh, Chagrin Film Festival when I was in that in 2020. It it played there. Uh, I think it may have won something there as well. Uh, it also um, was in the South by Southwest 2020 Film Festival. This is a movie about Johnny Cash and his first wife, Vivian. And it is an unbelievable story the footage is phenomenal the way that they wove this story together is so incredibly creative um you know it's it's kind of a heartbreaking tale for this woman um uh, and 
you know, what her life turned out like. Um, it does interview her daughters. Um, it's just, it's a fascinating inside look. Most people only really know Johnny Cash after he got connected with June Carter um, and, you know, their life afterwards. But there was a whole mess of things that happened um, before he ever met June Carter. So, yeah, my darling Vivian. And I think that you can find it right now. Um, Jason, you may be able to tell me faster than I can tell me. Um, I'm but, trying to find it. Um, uh, yeah, I think I saw it on Netflix. Let's just say Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Netflix. Uh, no, it says now playing on demand on these places. So, man, we oh. need to have one of these on our website. Uh, Apple TV, Google Play, Redbox, Amazon. Oh, my goodness. Look at all of these. Canal. I think TMC. most of those are rentals. I can't find like, oh, it's available for streaming. If yeah, you Prime have Video. A... Yeah, yeah, it's playing on demand on all of these things. And look at this. Do you know what? There are so many I didn't even think of here. We should be on all of these places as well. And we should have a web page like this. Hello. Hmm. Well, there you go. Good thing I looked that up. <laughs> we got on this podcast today, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about you two? You got anything today? I don't. I don't... <laughs> okay. Uh, we're about out of time anyway. So I'll just wrap it up with mine, which is, I, I don't think we've mentioned this, this Generation Hustle, which is a docu-series on HBO Max. They, they, talk about different con artists. You may have heard of uh, WeWork. They kind of feature that guy and his story. It's a shorter, these are like shorter uh, episodes. But there's one about uh, a, a young woman from Europe. I forget which country she comes over the United States, she comes to New York. She acts, pretends she's some heiress and convinces these banks to give her, you know, all kinds of money and friends uh, but she's a con artist. Well, they just, there's, so you can watch the documentary episode in Generation Hustle. Netflix just came out with a, a narrative series, Inventing Anna, which is the, the retelling of the story, but in a narration format. And it's a series, it's a limited series. Which I'm about halfway through, and the cinematography in that thing is fascinating. I, I would love to talk with you about that if you watch it, Josh. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my okay. to-do list. So. Yeah, they do some really interesting things. Right. Well, now I'm going to have to watch it, and we're going to have to talk about that next week. <laughs> well, there's nine episodes, so I don't know if we're going to be able to oh, see, watch Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a... <laughs> but, but the Generation Hustle, you could go and watch the one episode. It's like 45 minutes or something, you know, about that woman so anyhow that's what i brought to the table today thank you yep 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 so on that anything else we need to remind our listeners christian go to uh, what we, we can do yeah listen if you are listening and you have not joined our patreon uh page yet i really would encourage you to do that even if it's only a dollar a day or a dollar a month or five dollars a month uh, we've got some, we're really planning some awesome content for our Patreon supporters. Um, so definitely hop on over there and join our little band. Um, I, I just, that, that's the way you can support us um, mostly right now, unless you watch our film on iTunes or Apple TV. Sounds good. All right. Well, hey, I hope everyone, like Christian said, is encouraged. Um, these are just bumps in the road part of the journey so lots to look forward to 
Um, but we want to thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you for listening, donating, and following along on our journey. We are supported by generous donations from people just like you. To make a donation, visit thegirlwhowarefreedom.com or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash documentaryfirst. To learn more about our other works in progress, visit documentaryfirst.com or follow Documentary First on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Documentary First, edited and mixed by Jason Hoban, with music by Jeff Kurtenacker.